0: Let's talk some baseball. Let's talk some football. We got lots of stuff to talk about this morning with John Vampatella from Mansfield, who has worked at UConn for 27 years, currently serves as the chaplain for the UConn football team, and he serves other UConn athletes as well as a similar capacity. He's also written a couple of books, and we'll get to those in a second, too. John, good to catch up with this morning. Thanks for joining me today. Chaplain for the UConn football team. What does that mean? Hey, Wayne, good morning. Thanks for
1: having me on. Well, being the chaplain for the football team means serving in a pastoral capacity with the guys. Uh, There are, as we have discovered, uh, quite a number of students, both on the football team and obviously outside the football team, who want to really connect their faith with their sport. Uh, They want to ask the question, what does God have to say to me as a college student, as a college athlete? And so my role on the team is um, I... To help them in this spiritual area of life. So, we'll do weekly chapel services during the season. We host team Bible studies, and I serve as kind of a spiritual mentor for them. So, I'll meet with athletes in a one on one setting and talk through life and talk about what, uh, you know, what what does God have to say to you in the area of sport, in the area of studies?
0: Is it interdenominational? I mean, are you talking to guys from all different religions and somehow manage to bring it all together?
1: Well, so I work technically for an organization called Athletes in Action, which is an interdenominational Christian sports ministry that serves all over the the U.S. and all over the world. And we we have a chapter at the University of Connecticut, and my wife Diane actually heads it up locally. Uh, So she works with student athletes as well. Um, So we we do have students from a variety of backgrounds. We are unapologetically Christian, but uh, I'm happy to sit down with anybody, and if they happen to be of a faith that that I'm not as trained in, uh, I will certainly seek to get them the help that they need in, in uh, you know, the religious faith that they happen to observe.
0: Is this throughout the entire school year or just during the actual season when, in this case, football is playing?
1: Things certainly get a little bigger during the, uh, during the season, so we'll have the the team chapel services and there's a lot more happening during the off season, so like the spring, uh, we would still have the team Bible study, and I would still meet with uh, individual players as needed. Uh, but we don't do the chapel services; sort of a little less. And of course, you know, I attend the games, so I'm at the I'm at the games with the guys. Um, and in the spring, that doesn't happen, so it's a little it's a little lower key. But uh, there's still plenty going on, and we still have our large group weekly meeting, which takes place typically on a Tuesday night, and that's athletes throughout the athletic department. So we've got dozens and dozens and dozens of athletes from all sports uh involved which is pretty fun
0: yeah that was my next question about is it just football or how widespread is it like essentially at some point every student athlete at the university of connecticut who gets involved with your program
1: well certainly not everyone it's a voluntary thing of course and for some this is not an area they wish to pursue but for those that do we're open and available to uh to them no matter what sport they play uh in fact um Probably our largest contingent of athletes is probably track and field. Of course, that's a big team, right? So, uh, so we're not going to have as many guys from the smaller teams. Uh, and we don't have every team represented. There, there are certainly athletes from certain teams that don't have anybody uh, that's involved with us at this present moment. But I would say we're on about 12 of the 19 uh, varsity sports, which is pretty cool.
0: What's it been like from your point of view as a chaplain of the football team as they start to see more success? Last year they went from one win to a bowl game.
1: Well, so it's funny because I have the privilege of not only working with them on a personal level, but I'm a fan. You know, I root for them hard when they compete and it's really fun to see the kids that you yeah, kids, I, I'm fifty three, I can call them kids, I guess. You know, you these young men and women, when they compete, you get to really cheer hard for them because they're not just um you know, somebody in a UConn uniform, but they're people you know. And so we were, we were just cheering on the women's lacrosse team uh, just this weekend as they played uh, in the Big East Championship um, at UConn. So that was really fun. Um, but I would say as a, as a fan, you certainly see the difference. And being around the team, you can feel the difference. From a competitive standpoint, it felt like last year, and you could see this. I mean, Wayne, you cover them; you, 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 uh, you know what it was like to, to watch them last year. I'll I'll consider this past year to be this year. And when they would when they would get down in a game, their heads would drop; they would become dispirited, and it was almost like inevitable that they would lose. This year, for the football players, when they got down, they rallied and they played harder, and they there was just a whole different. I guess you would call it a spree decor uh, uh, on the the team. And there was a sense that we're going to do this. We can do this. And so they won games this year that there's no chance they would have won last year. And uh, it was really fun to be around the energy level. uh, Coach Mora has an unbelievable amount of energy, and it's contagious. And uh, you, you can feel it on the guys on the team.
0: Well, let's go back a few years to one of the better receivers that UConn has had in recent history, and that's Jeremy Davis, and he is one of the players you profile in a book that you've got that's coming out in August of this year titled 53rd Man. First off, give me the overview of what 53rd Man is about, and then we'll get into Jeremy Davis.
1: So the so I, I love writing about sports and athletes and their stories, and 53rd Man is about the the guys at the end of the bench on a pro football team, it's about the guys just fighting to try to make it in the NFL. Everybody knows about Tom Brady. Everybody knows about Aaron Rodgers. Everyone knows about Patrick Mahomes and, and their stories. And, you know, those are the guys that, that people pay the huge tickets to see. But the guys who are just barely on the cusp of the NFL, uh, and this, of course, transcends football. It, it goes to all sports. In fact, one of the reasons the publisher picked up this book, the publisher, Roman and Littlefield, picked up the book is because the acquisitions editor, uh, she said, I love this story because I was a 12th man. Uh, she played professional soccer in Seattle, and she was the last player on the team. And so it's really the story about people who, are, who any day could be cut for almost any reason. And I just think these stories are incredibly compelling, uh, and they're super interesting. So I started the whole project with Jeremy because I knew him as a student. I mentored him. Uh, he was involved in our in our program, and so I got to know him over the years, and we would talk regularly as he was fighting to make it and stay in the NFL. And I just thought his story was really interesting, and that led me to thinking, huh, I wonder if I wonder if there's a book in that. And I don't know if there was a whole book just on Jeremy, but Jeremy connected me to a couple other players, and and that led to me highlighting three guys: him, Austin Carr, and Matthew Slater. And uh, just really fun to kind of follow their their career trajectories
0: uh, from the perspective of, hey, here's a guy just trying to make it in the league. And all three of those guys are men of faith. How did their faith help them in their NFL experience? Well, in the NFL, and
1: I suppose this is true in, in life in general, but for these guys, there are tons of ups and downs. There's tons of uncertainty and while in my job, I'm not likely to suffer major injuries. Uh, probably not in your your job either. But for these guys, they're, they put their physical bodies on the line, and they they deal with injuries that uh, that may not only keep them out of the league, but but may have long term effects down the road. And so, uh, for them, to be able to, to deal with those struggles, those uncertainties, those challenges, and to really say, "Okay, God, what do you have?" in this for me. Uh, it really helps their perspective. It helps them process the things they're going through. Uh, and it gives them a, even an optimism that I think a lot of other guys may not have. Uh, I wouldn't say, certainly some people look at religion, they say that it's a crutch. And I wouldn't put it that way for sure. But I would say that for them, they certainly leaned on God. They leaned on their faith. And it carried them through uh, some real challenges and tough times that they had uh, as NFL players.
0: Sean, in Jeremy Davis's days in the NFL, I know he's with the Chargers for a bit, and there's times when a guy that was the man when he was at UConn, I distinctly remember one pass he caught from Casey Cochran down at Temple. When they were down 21-0, they'd gone 0-9 in the season, and they rallied back to win that game. That was a huge reception for a huge comfort behind win for the Huskies. But now, as you say, he's the 53rd man. They go out and play games, and he might not get even in the game at all. Did he reach out to you about that and how tough it was to be a guy that rarely plays, but he's there just in case, and he's got to be ready. Yes, and so this is
1: this is the interesting discussion especially early on in his career. He ended up making it as a as a very successful special teams guy, which is the route that many 53rd men have to take in football. And, and just so people know, the reason I titled it 53rd man is cuz there are 53 guys on an NFL roster, so we're talking about the last last guy or two on the on the team. But when Jeremy first got drafted, he was a 6th round pick and he got picked up by the Giants. And he, you know, he was a star receiver at UConn, a record-setting receiver at UConn. He was great. And this just shows you how hard it is to make it at the next level, whether you're a great high school athlete going to a, a big Division One program, uh, suddenly everybody on your team was a great high school athlete, or you're a, you're a great college player trying to make it in the pros. Well, everybody in the pros was a great college player. And so so Jeremy found that, boy, it's really hard to make it as a wide receiver. And he and I would talk, and he would express Gratitude, certainly, that he was in the league, but frustration that he wasn't really getting a chance at wide receiver. I think he only caught five passes in his entire career. And so I kept reminding him, I said, Jeremy, you just have to, you have to stick with it. If your career ends up being a five or six year career where you, you play special teams, you draw a nice paycheck, you get the NFL experience. That's a pretty good life. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, that's true. And so he stuck with it, and and probably year three or four is when he realized, I think I'm not really going to ever make it as a wide receiver, so I have to just focus on being a really good special teams guy, which is what he ended up doing. And what is Jeremy doing now? Jeremy is doing a bunch of things. He coaches uh, high school football out in Arizona. Uh, He's got a a ministry, an online ministry, uh, where he – puts out great videos helping helping other uh, athletes uh, it's called obedience over religion so you can you can look him up on instagram uh, he's doing he's doing some pretty neat things um, he was involved in a in a coaching initiative uh, this past uh, well about a year ago past summer he's trying to get into uh, big time coaching he would love to do that but that's a long hard road and he's just started that process so it, it, it would be great if Five or ten years from now, we'd look on an NFL sideline and see Jeremy Davis there. That would be great. He certainly has a lot to offer from a NFL, you know, from a football knowledge standpoint and from a character standpoint. He, he's absolutely the kind of guy that you would love to mentor your son. Uh, he's just, he just is really sharp, and he's, he's a man of integrity, and he, he, he's a great guy. So I, I could see a role for him down the road in coaching.
0: One of the other guys you profiled in the 53rd man, Matthew Slater, who became an all-pro, really is no longer a 53rd man type of guy, not an end-of-the-bench guy. Why was he included in the book, and what was it like getting to know him as you went through the process?
1: So I got to know Matthew through Austin Carr, who I got to know through Jeremy Davis. So it's funny how just guys just kind of say, oh, you know, you should talk to this guy, you should talk to this guy. And I thought, Matthew Slater... Like he's an all pro. Why would I? Why would I talk to him? And then I looked a little more into his story, and I realized, oh, well, he was a he was a fifth round pick, and he wasn't anything special in, at UCLA. Obviously, the son of an NFL Hall of Famer, Jackie Slater. But I thought, let me let me just let me just talk to him first and see and see how it goes. And and I and of course, he ended up being a 53rd man type, probably for the first three or four years of his career. And as I got to know him, he would say, John, I. I always felt like the 53rd man, even as a team captain, even as an all pro. I felt like because I only ever did special teams, that I could be replaced at any moment with somebody or by somebody younger and cheaper. So he, he, he has always felt like he's, you know, inches away from being cut. Um, but here's a great story about Matthew Slater. So it's my first phone call. I'll just tell you some of the, a little bit about the guy that he is. I've never met him. That's my first phone call I'm having with him, and he's late getting on the call. And I'm waiting for him, and I'm waiting for him. I can't rush him because who knows what's going on. And then eventually he calls, and he says, I'm so sorry I'm late. I said, no problem. He said, I was, I was just dealing with something with one of my kids. And I said, oh, can we talk about that? And so it ended up being, before I even asked him a single question about football, or anything, my first ever conversation with him was about parenting and what it's like to be a dad. And I just thought, this is so cool. I have four kids of my own. I'm, I'm much older than he is. So our kids are adults and, and basically out of the house. Our youngest just graduated from UConn this past weekend. And so we're in a very different place in life. But I just thought, how cool is it that I'm talking to Matthew Slater about what it's like to be a dad and what it's like to raise kids. And I don't know, I just thought that was a really fun introduction to, to the man that he is.
0: Great story, and then the third member of the book is Austin Carr of the Saints. Why'd you pick him?
1: Well, again, it was the connection that I had through Jeremy, and as I got to hear his story, uh, I was pretty compelled by it. Uh, he grew up in in California, ended up going to Northwestern, was a All Big Ten receiver, player of the year in the conference, and and ended up getting. and I remember him when he was trying out for the Patriots and he ended up getting cut. I thought he was going to make the team. That was the year that Julian Edelman actually tore his ACL, and I thought Austin was a pretty perfect replacement for him, but surprisingly, to me anyway, and and to Austin, as it turned out, he got cut by Bill Belichick and ended up with the Saints, so he went from Tom Brady to Drew Brees, Uh, but his story is really neat, and as it turns out, he has a connection to our organization as well, which I thought was really uh, kind of a neat thing and, and maybe a I don't know, a God-ordained thing. Like, here's here's somebody you should talk to, because not only does he fit your your book story, but he's got a connection to the organization
0: that you work with. Now, when is this book coming out, and how can people get it? So, the book is scheduled for release on
1: August 9th, but you can pre-order it now. It's uh, available on Amazon. It's available through my Publisher's website Roman and Littlefield R O W M A N and Littlefield, uh, or you could even pre-order it through me directly at JohnVapattella dot com. Any of those would work. I think it's a fun book. So here's the thing: I want to say this. It's not a it's not a Christian book about sports. It's a sports book, but these the faith of these guys is definitely you're going to notice it, and I think uh, they're great represent uh, representatives of what it means to be men of faith in the in the world of football. So I think you'd enjoy it on a, on a number of different levels, and uh, I hope people get a chance to pick it up and, uh, and learn more about these guys, especially Jeremy because he's got these great UConn connections.
0: So you got a couple of books out. What's your next project? Oh, you know,
1: I... I I hate to say it, but uh, but I've got about five different things that I'm working on. Uh, one of them is is about a golfer named Ted Rhodes, who is one of the first Black PGA golfers. Uh, and another one I've actually finished the manuscript. It's about a nurse named Viola uh, She was she was a nurse, a self taught nurse down in Texas during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, and uh, which certainly uh, I started this project a couple of years ago as COVID hit. So. You know, there's certainly a lot of relevancy to what's been going on in our world today, but uh, not that much is known about her. But what is known is incredibly compelling, her story. So I hope to bring that to light uh, one of these days.
0: John, I love your stories. Now, here's the deal. I'm out of time. But you've also written a book called The Forgotten Game about Game 5 of the 2000 ALCS between the Yankees and the Red Sox. You're coming back. We're going to do another show, and we'll talk about that because that is the game. People remember Game 4 and, of course, Game 6 and 7, but they don't remember Game 5 as much. Yes, David Ortiz again, so we'll do that later on. Hey, one more note. that You've got a little sports in your family, too. Your wife, what's her coaching role? Well,
1: so she's the head volleyball coach at EO Smith High School locally, and she does a great job. With those guys, she interestingly enough, she also serves as a chaplain for the WNBA, Connecticut Suns. So she's got a lot going on. She's way better at this job than I am. So uh, so it's kind of good to work with her, and, and uh, we get to serve together, which is a blast.
0: Wow, we just came full circle with John Vampatella from Mansfield, who has worked at UConn for 27 years and is now the chaplain for the UConn football team. We'll get back to you on the Forgotten Game later on, John, but this was great. Thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you, Wayne. I appreciate it. John Van Patel, our guest on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.